This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. Since the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, there's been a lot of talk about the future of Roe versus Wade and whether or not the court is now lined up to overturn that landmark decision. As you probably know and have seen, there has been a lot of street action over the last month or two as several states have passed near-total bans on abortion. We could have talked with a lawyer or lobbyist to break down the state of the courts and what's happening in Pennsylvania and other states, but instead we're talking about reproductive justice. Reproductive justice is a concept that was started in the mid-1990s by a group of black feminists. It's a different framework for approaching access to reproductive health care that views reproductive rights through the lens of everything in a person's life that makes access to care possible or impossible, with an emphasis on organizing and leadership by black women. My guest to discuss this is Latasha Mays, the executive director and co-founder of New Voices for Reproductive Justice. In this conversation, Latasha explains what reproductive justice is and the work that New Voices is doing to realize their vision. This conversation was recorded on June 14th. Well, Latasha, thanks for taking the time to talk and and tell us more about New Voices and the work you're doing. Let's start there. What is the mission of New Voices for Reproductive Justice? Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, New Voices for Reproductive Justice is an organization committed to the health and well-being of black women, femmes, and girls. Our mission explicitly is to build a social change movement dedicated to the health of black women and girls through leadership development, human rights, and reproductive justice. For those who may have heard of reproductive justice but are not sure what it actually means, in short, it is the human right to control your body. And for those who want the detailed definition is the human right for us all to control our bodies, our sexuality, our gender, our work, our reproduction, and our families. And so reproductive justice is a much broader and intersectional framework for how we achieve reproductive freedom. Yeah, and that's what I find so interesting and so refreshing about it. It's, it's so holistic and, as you said, intersectional um, and interconnected. You know, it goes beyond just advocating for abortion and birth control, which, of course, are important. But it gets to all these interconnected parts of people's daily lives, um, particularly black women. My interaction with you and others at New Voices has been mostly through policy advocacy. But as you described, it, it, the work is broader than that. Um, what does that look like for you and for your staff on a daily basis? What is the work like day to day? Well, just a point that you made just a, a, a minute ago is that reproductive justice definitely, the way we define reproductive justice now or explain where abortion access fits into our work and our movement and our frame, framework is that reproductive justice includes abortion access but is not exclusive to abortion access. And I think people began to understand that, that abortion access is as important to the reproductive justice movement as it is to the reproductive health and rights movement and to women's rights and to, uh, to a feminist worldview. Uh, the way the work looks like for us is through policy, and you see us in Harrisburg 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, we New Voices is also, also operates across Ohio now. Mm-hmm. So we're also in Columbus. Our work is federal as well as it is local. So you will see us at city council uh, meetings as well. And then, you know, we're in D.C. back and forth, too, advocating for federal policy as well. Our work also is about organizing, and that is working with and building relationships with community members for a common goal, and it's normally something for the public good. So that means we are knocking on people's doors, we're making phone calls, we're engaging them in the community around key reproductive justice issues. And the biggest way that we do that is through our Voice Your Vote project, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a year-round integrated voter engagement strategy that reaches black women voters ages 18 and 49. So we're not parachuting in two weeks before the election to ask for black women's votes. We're positioning voting as the very first step to a much deeper and longer pathway to decision-making in a person's community so that they feel that they have a stake in what their community or their city or their state or their country looks like. Our other work is around programming. We have several leadership programs for different segments of the New Voices constituency or base of supporters from our Sister Speak Youth Project that is developing the next generation of reproductive justice leaders to our Environmental Justice Project, which has two distinct leadership programs, one for black women in Western Pennsylvania to become environmental justice and reproductive justice advocates and organizers. But we also have a statewide program for black women and women of color called the Reproductive Justice Leadership Network, which develops them into policy advocates. So uh, black women and women of color from across Pennsylvania have the opportunity to, to learn how policy gets made in Harrisburg and at the federal levels, as well as their local community. Uh, but they also get to do the work with new voices where they live. That's a part of our growth strategy because new voices is 15 years old this year. Yeah. And so very few black women led organizations sustain over time. And that number is even smaller for black-led reproductive justice organizations. Mm -hmm. So we do count it as, uh, I count it as, I I feel a great amount of gratitude for being able to celebrate 15 years of this work that has often been underfunded and resourced for us who are on the front lines, you know, working to defeat all manner of things from abortion access to white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So I am feeling that at this point in our organizational development, the work also has to be about culture change, as in who gets to lead movements or who we as a society views as leaders in movements for reproductive freedom. And it has always been black women, but now there is an acknowledgement. People are starting to see us, you know, they're starting to see that it has always been black women. And while we may be trendy, no matter what, black women will always lead work for reproductive justice. And it's 
been powerful to be a part of and lead a movement um, in Pennsylvania and Western PA, but nationally, that centers black women, femmes, and girls. And that is the vast difference from reproductive health and rights movements. You've clearly made progress then in the 15 years. What, what is different now from when New Voices was founded in 2004? Some things have changed and some things have remained the same. Yeah. I think people talking about abortion has changed. I think people are talking more about abortion than ever before. Right. And it's not this hush, hush, oh, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to bring that up, especially when it comes to policy and politics. So you have, you have Joe Biden running for president pivot on the Hyde Amendment. Yeah. That would have never happened 15 years ago. Right. Um, but con- conversely, at the federal and state level, you still have mostly white male legislators, white male legislators who build their political capital by selling out abortion access, mm-hmm. especially for low-income women and people who need abortions in our state and in our country. So that hasn't changed. I think that there's more coordinated efforts in Pennsylvania in terms of strategizing, but they're still fractured in terms of the ecosystem of organization. There's still a disconnect between those who are definitely and directly impacted with versus those who are making the decisions about how movements are led and, and how policy is advocated for. And so there's still a gap there. I think that for New Voices, we have shifted culture by being present and for different stakeholders to understand that a reproductive justice movement is not only important, but it is absolutely necessary and critical to where our state goes and where our nation goes. We're not winning without a reproductive justice strategy. And it doesn't mean that a reproductive health or rights organization says that they're a reproductive justice organization now, that's actually a disservice and a dishonoring of the legacy and labor of black women. But at the same time, reproductive health and rights organizations can adopt practices that reflect a reproductive justice value. And that's, that hasn't changed. We don't see that, you know, you think people are interested in a reproductive justice framework, but before in 2004, in, in the formative years of New Voices, nobody was trying to talk about reproductive justice. And right. that's the difference that New Voices has made. Like, people was like, well, it's the same as reproductive health and rights. Unequivocally, it is not. And yet we have pushed to demonstrate how it is different by the way in which we show up, not just for abortion access, but for all the issues that are important to black women and their families and their communities. So from incarceration to environmental justice, to ending gender-based violence, to LGBTQ rights, to healthcare access, New Voices has been there every step of the way for those that we serve. We have enrolled black women in the Affordable Care Act ourselves as we fought for it, you know, and that we have continued to be a part of efforts to change the law in the state that makes it legal for LGBTQ people to be discriminated against in public accommodations because of our archaic human relations law. We were there. We made it happen 
in Allegheny County, and that it's been past time for our state to include sexual orientation and gender identity in our Human Relations, Human Relations Act. Yeah. And so these are ways that New Voices has worked to bring reproductive justice in real life to those that we serve. Is about, it's always been about concrete changes. When we sued the Department of Human Services for denying low-income women on Medicaid uh, to get full access through the Affordable Care Act, and we won with Women's Law Project representing us in a lawsuit, that's real work because it impacted tens of thousands of low-income women in our state to get full coverage for their health care, not just a very limited family planning plan that they had access to. And so that's what our work looks like in addition to policy advocacy for abortion access is connecting with those that we serve to change a culture that will trust black women to make decisions about ourselves, our bodies, our families, our communities. Well, and Medicaid actually is one of the uh, policy issues I do want to ask you about. You mentioned the lawsuit that's in the state courts and, and the fact that um, Joe Biden recently had to deal with this issue on the campaign trail. Can you talk a little bit about the impact of that policy that abortion coverage is prohibited under Medicaid? Uh, the Hyde Amendment continues to haunt us to this day. And what uh, again, one of the changes has been in talking about Talking very boldly about abortion access, we've been able to act very boldly against the Hyde Amendment, and New Voices has done that uh, at all levels, local, state, and federal, uh, through not only organizing and policy and, and, and culture change, but working with partners at every level. So at the federal level, our partner is all above all. And so that is a national campaign that is solely focused on the repeal of the Hyde Amendment and ensuring Medicaid coverage for abortion across the nation. Uh, Women's Law Project has, you know, they have, they issued their lawsuit against the state for denying low-income women and folks access to abortion. And we, we know that the law is, the law as it, is, as, as it stands in Pennsylvania now is that it can only be covered through, uh, through rape, incest, or life of the mother. Right. And that is unacceptable when we know that low-income folks and really all women, people who need abortion, they're going to, if they have made that decision for themselves, there's nothing that will stop them from seeking that type of abortion, the abortion care that they need. And we do low-income women a huge disservice, and we jeopardize their health. And New Voices defines health as physical, emotional, spiritual, cultural, political, economic, environmental, and social well-being. So people only want to see it from a physical perspective or medical perspective. But, you know, the, the health of a person needing abortion care can be impacted by a variety of, fa of factors, by a variety of factors, and if they're not prepared to carry a pregnancy to term, no state law should force them to do that. And if right. you are, and it shouldn't matter if you can afford to have your abortion or not. If you have public insurance, if you have public insurance, you, the type of insurance you have should not prevent you from being able to access your constitutional, legal, and human right to not carry a pregnancy to term. The Hyde Amendment 
impacts women of all backgrounds, all education levels, different familial statuses. And that's why this is the fight around abortion access specifically. But at the end of the day, we need to get rid of the Hyde Amendment. We need to repeal the Hyde Amendment. It is about health care. And we're denying women and folks health care when we say that they cannot, if they have Medicaid, that they cannot seek abortion care. Yeah, I was talking earlier today with my colleague, our policy advocate who handles reproductive rights, and she was talking about how you know, the last few months, there's been a lot of attention about access to abortion potentially going away. And she was saying how that's been reality for low-income women for a long time. Yes. Yes. There are lots of people living in a post-row world now, either due to affordability and not just the cost of uh, an abortion procedure itself, but the related cost. The related cost of abortion, it certainly impacts low-income women and folks a different way than it does those who have, who, are, who have more money at the end of the day. So if you have to wait 24 hours like you do in our, in our state, then you have to take off work. You have to maybe have child care. You definitely need child care because so many women who have children I mean, who seek abortion care have children. You know, you have to travel because we know how Sophie counties do not have an abortion provider. Mm -hmm. And so these costs continue to add up. And if you need to drive there, you have to pay for the cost of travel. You have to maybe pay somewhere, pay to have somewhere to stay while you wait after you've already decided what your decision is about your ability to control your reproduction, those costs add up. And so abortion funds have been critical in covering covering the cost of the procedure, but also the ancillary costs associated with seeking abortion care in our state. And so shout out to all of the abortion funds across the country and in Pennsylvania who make it possible for low-income folks to get the abortion care that they want and need. And so, you know, our work is we look to more practical ways that we can be supportive. Our goal is to support abortion clinics and to support uh, abortion funds in Pennsylvania through our dollars and our shared fundraising as we did with Allegheny Reproductive Health Center and, you know, Western Pennsylvania Fund for Choice on the, the National Network of Abortion Funds annual bolathon, which raises millions and millions of dollars for abortion access, and we intend to do the same thing in Ohio. Mm. And so it has to be, you can't have, you know, abortion providers and clinics and phones and women and folks who need abortion care, like, siloed and separate from the policy work that we do or the organizing work that we do, mm-hmm. that we must have an integrated and intersectional approach to how we all are engaging in this fight. And I think that's a big difference, too, since we started. So if someone listening to this is interested in learning more about reproductive justice, what do you recommend? Are there particular writers or scholars or activists you suggest they check out? Absolutely. Anyone who wants to know about reproductive justice must read the first poem about what it means for black women, and that is Killing a Black Body by Dorothy Roberts. As a state, we are really fortunate to have Dorothy Roberts teaching K-12 
teaching and continuing her genius work in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. And we have such, it brings new voices great joy to be connected to Dorothy Roberts in that way. And I have the opportunity to speak in her class each year. She leads a class on Philadelphia Justice and the Law. And she has been a lightning force for our movement before we had a name for our movement as we were as we were developing the name for our movement, Dorothy Roberts Killing the Black Body tells us where we were at the time that the reproductive justice movement began. And then the second book I would recommend is Undivided Rights, Women of Color Organized Reproductive Justice by my uh Shiro and uh, icon legend in the reproductive justice movement by Loretta J. Ross at all. So when we start there, there are lots of articles about reproductive justice, rewire.news is, is, the, is the site of repro news uh, across the nation. And of course, uh, it was weird to, as we're growing and as our followership grows on social media, you know, new voices have become a source of news as well. So people can follow us uh, at new voices org, but on social media, New Voices Philly, New Voices Pittsburgh on Facebook, and on Twitter, New Voices for RJ, the number for RJ, as well as Instagram, the number for RJ. So that's a plug for what you should read and how you should follow New Voices for the latest and greatest on our work, but also the reproductive justice movement. Uh, there are two other reproductive justice books that came out in 2017. One is called Reproductive Justice and Intro, also by Loretta Ross. And Loretta Ross also uh, edited with uh, others uh, a book called The Radical Reproductive Justice Anthology, along with one of my other sheroes, Lynn Roberts. She's at a university in New York City. I can't think of the name at the, off the top of my head. But if people want to read, that's where they should begin but above all, begins with a practice of looking at the ways in which misogyny and patriarchy undermines the health and well-being of black women, femmes, and girls, and also a retrospection or introspection around white supremacy and specifically anti-black racism, how all those things contribute to poor health outcomes for black women and black communities and we see that around black maternal health in particular. But for new voices in a reproductive justice movement and framework, you have to look at all these things together in order to find a path forward to almost, we have to construct the world that we want and we have to look at what exists now and reproductive justice is a path forward for everybody, for everyone. Reproductive justice is for everyone but it is a movement that was started and is led by black women, not only in this state, in the state of Pennsylvania, but across the nation. Well, Tasha, I know you're busy. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and especially appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you so much. That's Latasha Mays of New Voices for Reproductive Justice. You can learn more about New Voices at their website, newvoicespittsburgh.org. They are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well with the handle at New Voices 4RJ. That's the number four, New Voices 4RJ on social media. That brings episode 27 to a close. The podcast is taking a summer hiatus. 
We're going dark for about six weeks or so, but we'll be back in late July or early August. Keep an eye on your favorite podcast app and on ACLUPA's social media channels for new episodes. And please be sure to rate us on your podcast app of choice. That helps others who care about civil liberties find the program. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover, the host, writer, and director of this podcast. Until next time, be free.